What's up, everyone? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're joined by Pennsylvania State Senator Dalen Leach to discuss the cannabis bill he calls the best in the nation. We'll find out why, but first, we do have to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. So, Miggy and Tom, what is happening in the news this week? Well, there was a couple of interesting articles that came through. One is about Pennsylvania legalization. So that's going to be relevant to today because we're going to be talking to Senator Dalen Leach after we do the news summary. Miggy, how was your week? Good, man. Hey, uh, I want to say congratulations to us. We uh, we reached 300,000 likes on the site. We've been there for about six years because that's when we got shadowed banned about six years ago. Miggy was throwing up all these dank memes, which he go. still does for um, cannabis legalization and cannabis laws. And I'm like, Miggy, you got to start sharing these dank memes on my Facebook page. It's okay. It had about like 10, 20,000 people by then. And, uh, and then he started doing that and it started blowing up. And then we got uh, shadow banned probably in 2015, 16, because suddenly yeah. they found out that the memes were there and they're like, shut it down. Shut hey, look it at down. that. We reached a million people in a month, dude. So yep. yep. I mean, and we actually are really excited because we have a brand refresh that's coming to that page, this YouTube channel and uh, our Facebook group, Adult Use Laws. Uh, so those are, and then we have a cannabis industry lawyer on, on LinkedIn, but we're going to rebrand it into cannabis legalization news. So, uh, good stuff coming, but yeah. did you see the, um, the very interesting article that you shared about the it pros indicted for, uh, this was really interesting. It pros indicted after arranging credit card payments for weed startup. And so you'll see this a lot of times with the credit card payment processors. And uh, uh, it was interesting in the sense that these were offshore people. And so that with credit card processing, you usually need to you, you need to have a code. And so the way that they were doing this is they were just falsifying those codes and running the transactions. And uh, so what was it? Issuing bank, merchant banks, what would they call them? The actual four digit codes. Here's where they talk about the four digit codes. Mm. Uh, and they were like saying it was like soda or some other stuff. They Tom weren't treats. saying that it was going to be actual uh, cannabis things that were done. And so because of that, they were lying and they've been charged with bank fraud. And then their defense was like a fraud with no victims. I'm like, they don't understand the law. It doesn't really matter that there's no yeah. victims. It matters what the statute says. And then I scrolled down to this and it was Julie Hill, a legal scholar with the University of Alabama. And I'm like, yep, she's right. She <laughs> that that's what that's what I was thinking. And so people didn't understand the laws. They they were living outside the boundaries of the United States. So they created this. They were they were lying. People were doing transactions in business. And then when they came to L.A., they got popped. Right. Yeah. Well, he's flying through. Yeah, he's flying through. Flying through. German just... IT consultant in L.A. God. But the whole no victim, no crime. I mean, that's a thing. That's, I mean, no, it's not a thing. I mean, it should be a thing. Okay, <laughs> I understand that you think that it should be a thing, but that there's a way that like these these statutes are written, and these are these criminal elements, and then it was an, a knowledgeable, willful, intentional misrepresentation of this to a financially insecure. Uh, mm. Sorry, fine, federally insured financial institution. Sometimes when I get worked up about all the bank law, you know, remember. Remember when I was a bank lawyer? I still am. My law firm's yeah. name is Collateral Base, after all. You know, it's it's your wheelhouse. But uh, you know, it, it just it bothers me that we have this precedent of criminality. Where it's like like here, there's a couple that was busted in Oregon or not Oregon, um, uh, Colorado, illegal okay. state, recreational legal. Our biggest argument here in defense of Washington and why we don't have it is home grow. Is like you're not going to have large scale home grows. I mean, clearly these guys weren't mom and pop small home grow, but my point is, is that we can stop uh, uh, large productions. You know, you'll find them. They're not hidden. You know, home growth should be acceptable. It should be like the garden in my backyard, tomatoes and uh, cucumber. I mean, growing is hard, period. Growing so, is tough. Growing but is the, the, these lines that we set for criminality are just ridiculous. You know, I just kind of talked about the semantics of weight. You know, we're going to stop at an ounce for criminality. Yeah, the semantics of weight are something, but then it, it is important that home grow is allowed and home grow is one of those exceptions that they very often exploit. But, you know, you should still allow it for the safe access to the medicine, you know, and then well, not just genetics and then the genetics. The genetics are very, very important, but then also the safe access to the medicine, because, yeah. you know, right now the, the Illinois statute says that it's legal for the people that have the cultivation licenses to be able to sell seeds to dispensaries. But yet there aren't any. So did you hear that June had a, uh, you guys had a really good month in Illinois? 
Yeah, whenever I want to get like the general news, you know what you hit up. Hmm. You, you, you go marijuana to moment. Moment, marijuana moment. And <laughs> marijuana moment, I mean, this Tom Angel, we're going to have to try to get him on the show one day and talk to him because he is like, uh, man. He's a machine. He's prolific. He's a machine. I mean, right. Every, well, maybe machine. he has a, uh, maybe his point is every day he'll do two stories because, come on, think about it. There's, it's easy to find two stories about cannabis if you, if you look. And then there's the yeah. Illinois record setting, record breaking. And then there's articles like this, you know, uh, that this is kind of like recycling the news. And then he has somebody else that writes for him. Pro tip, if you are trying to start uh, a marijuana publication or any publication, have somebody write for you. It really helps double the content. Well, have a team, period. I mean, look at us. Uh, you know, uh, we I try to do the team thing as far as the website went, you know, writing. I'm still writing, just not sure. as prolific. But uh, uh, you definitely need a team. I mean, just like with us, with the Facebook page mm -hmm. and then the show, you know, we got our base. Yeah. And sometimes we break the stories a little too early. Remember that one time? It was one of your first videos. It was exceedingly popular. And you can't find it anymore because it's not on uh, YouTube. It got yanked. It was that one that you said coronavirus cures. No, no. Cannabis cures coronavirus. And they yanked it like months ago after it kind of blew up. And well, then what worse. happens now? Like you get this. This is from Forbes. Basically yeah. say, and you were actually joking about it. So you shouldn't have been joking. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe you should have like cited the source. I don't know, but either way, we have to be really careful about what we put on the channels because sometimes, remember they yanked that that video of yours that you yeah. did about this. And, and I thought I was cautious enough to say it didn't cure. I just said it helped with my uh, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Your autoimmune system. You know, right. I, I shared that Israel MD's uh, research. You know, just saying this could be a possibility. And here we are, four months later, everybody's agreeing with it, and we got taken down. Well, you got taken and we got taken down quick. I mean, like yeah. we were taken down, I think, in like April or March when the stay at home orders were still there. But, you know, thank you, YouTube. Thank you. We are we like being on your platform. It is the best. <laughs> All praise be. All praise be to YouTube. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the hard things when you're trying to deal with the man, but you're also trying to change the man's laws. It's difficult. It's a tough conversation. It's pushing a rock uphill, right? That's the myth of Sisyphus. You know who else had a good uh, uh, month so far? Who's that? That would be Oregon. 100 million. Gosh, 100 million in Oregon. And Oregon is not that populous, populous of a state. I want to say it's only like, um, what, four? Four to five million people? That's a small state, but yeah. That's a small but, state, but still $100 million into cannabis sales. And then uh, you know, that could be helping those, these deficits that are out there. This is one of the reports that were, is interesting. Can legalizing recreational marijuana in Pennsylvania help deal with their $3.2 billion deficit? The lieutenant governor, John Fetterman, is saying the time is now. And then, of course, there's a Republican senator always that's trying to block that. And then there is one as, as well in uh, Pennsylvania. It's the state Senator Stefano. And he chairs the Law and Justice Committee that oversees the state's liquor, police, and marijuana. And do you know what he wants? You know what he wants? Uh, no homegrown. No, uh, no legalization, what, probably. What do these people always want when they're standing in the way of legalization? Oh, oh, studies. More research. God we need more research. Oh, that was your plan. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. uh, the Bible. Uh, oh, right. Don't forget the Bible. I, I did get a PhD from Bible arts. No, not about Bible arts, from Bible studies in Liberty College. I, actually, that might be a thing. You might be able to get that. There is a, or is it Liberty University? What was the one owned by the preacher? Oh, Billy Graham's thing. I don't know, but it's just the worst argument still for why to hold back progress. Well, it's, a, it's the next argument as well. It's the same. There's that one. We need more studies. And then you know what else you need? How uh, do we know if you're high and driving? Oh, fuck. That's that we have we have no test to tell if you are high and driving. You gotta and be bad. That's the next one. It's like how can we still arrest you after we make this legal? Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. I mean, well, here we, and then we'll ask our guests about this. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, I just shared that one state made a hundred million. Right. You know, and then at the same time, there was a traffic shop with a hundred pounds in York, uh, York County, in Pennsylvania. 
Wow. Hundred pounds, and we got criminals. I mean, they're, they're not criminals. They're probably just working in the medical scene. Well, it just means that the black, the traditional market, as they call it on the West Coast, is still there. So, if you would like to disrupt the traditional market and maybe insert some justice into uh, undoing what happens with the drug war, you know that that can be kind of like the Illinois model. And it was very interesting. This was this week as well. Uh, state senator from Pennsylvania, Dalen Leach. Uh, has a press release and an article he, he spoke on marijuana prohibition being racist. And we often talk about that, like with the book. That's why I named it Satan Smoke. And if you guys want one of those, please do email me at uh, Tom at collateralbase.com. But I have, I've been very impressed with uh, Dalen Leach's uh, uh, website. And so if you want oh, to yeah. learn more about the bill in Pennsylvania, you, you've got it. I mean, but then also go to the, the senatorleach.com backslash SB350. And I think I think we uh, we really should start talking to him just to see where it is in Pennsylvania, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Dalen, how you doing? Good, good. Hi, guys. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank Thanks you for, for coming, coming on. on. Yeah. Before we uh, get to know about SB 350, can you tell us a little bit about a little bit about what you're doing in Pennsylvania? Where you're coming from? Um, well, I yeah, yeah, you know, I've been uh, in the legislature for 18 years, and it's interesting. You know, if you would ask me about on cannabis, if you asked me if I was for medical cannabis or for adult use, I would have said, you know, you know, sure, of course, but it wasn't a front burner issue for me until uh, a woman who was not a constituent of mine uh, came to her senator uh, and said, you know, and, and she, had, her son was three, had Dravet syndrome, really terrible uh, epilepsy-like uh, condition, uh, seizing all the time, and she wanted to try at that, at that time. Charlotte's Web had just come come out in Colorado, and she wanted to be able to use it in Pennsylvania. And her senator said, you know, essentially, well, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to touch that, but, you know, talk to Dalen. I don't know if you guys ever saw those, that commercial with this, the, the live cereal with that kid, Mikey, and they're like, he'll eat anything. It was sort of like that. Like you talk to Dalen. Try it. You'll yeah, like. do yeah. yeah. So um, uh, she came to me and I was so moved by her story that I um, promised her that we would get this passed in Pennsylvania. And I left the meeting and it was, you know, as I was leaving, I remember standing on the street corner on Third Street in Harrisburg, thinking, "Okay, genius, how are you going to do this?" I mean, I was in the I was in the minority. Pennsylvania is not a, a very uh, uh, progressive state in terms of social policy, and I was like, "This this is going to take a miracle." Uh, fortunately, along the way, and it took a couple of years, we had a number of miracles that that enabled it to pass. But uh, in passing that bill and then getting involved in you know, other aspects of cannabis and then getting involved with the industry and going to conferences and stuff, it became a real passion of mine. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's one of the things we're really focusing on now. I like to say you really took off with it. I mean, uh, most of the time I'm not impressed by a politician, but your page alone, uh, the fact that you have, uh, I can apply for a medical card, like you help people and direct them to get a medical card. I think it's pretty awesome. Well, one thing I would say is that, like, we don't actually do a lot in Pennsylvania uh, in the legislature. Uh, certainly not a lot that helps people in their lives. Um, there's there's a lot of reasons for political gridlock, not only in Pennsylvania, but across the country at the federal level. Um, but, you know, whatever the reasons are, and you know, I can talk about them if you're interested, but, uh, you know, when, when you're able to do something that transcends the usual partisan divide and actually makes a difference in people's lives. It's really attractive to sort of embrace that, at least for me. It's for the good of the country. I mean, like this is a legislative change that puts your state on a different trajectory. And uh, it, it is, and it's just more honest to regulate this plant as if it's, as we know it, I mean, like, again, we didn't know about this plant and how it really worked in anandamide and the, and the endocannabinoid system until the early 90s. These laws go back to the 30s and before. They're purely based on prejudice and speculation and, quite frankly, to try to keep down the people who were popularly using them, the Mexicans and the, the dark people. The people. Oh, yeah. were, I'm yeah. sorry. No, I was going to say, I... Talk about that a lot. I mean, for people who don't know, you know, uh, Harry Anslinger was a big guy uh, uh, at the federal level pushing prohibition in the 30s. And he testified before Congress. And he, he didn't testify, well, we don't have enough studies yet on the health impact or whatever. It was literally, you know, this the, people who smoke marijuana 
you know, it makes black people think they're just as good as white people. And it makes yeah, white white legit, like, like during testimony, he'd say this. Yeah, this was under, you know, sworn public record testimony in Congress. And, of course, the Southern senators particularly were like, oh, my God. And, you know, that was uh, that's all they needed to hear. Um, and, uh, you know, I wrote recently an editorial you mentioned, but, uh, you know, John Ehrlichman, moving forward uh, 40 years, John Ehrlichman was the uh, domestic policy advisor for President Nixon. And before he died, he gave an interview and he said, look, you know, we wanted to control black communities and we couldn't make it illegal to be black. But making uh, cannabis, uh, you know, sub subject to very strict penalties um, was our way of controlling the black community. Um, and so there's, there's really no secret what's behind these laws. Um, the problem is, and I've given a lot of thought to this, because there's so many irrational things. I mean, the fact that hemp was illegal, you can't, as you know, it's not intoxicating. It's, you know, and uh, I've given a lot of thought to why some of that persists. And I think, it, you know, a lot of it's because it was tied to the culture wars of the time. You know, people, a lot of people still think of when they hear cannabis or marijuana or some synonym, they think, oh, my God, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the people burning their draft cards and people who, uh, you know, Jerry Garcia and people burning their bras. And like it, it. And really what I say is like we're not the average marijuana user now uh, doesn't look like Jerry Garcia. They look more like Dick Cheney. Um, yeah. and this is a this is not really part of like some hippie movement now. Um, and so we've got to divorce that from our thinking. And yeah. I think the industry could do a lot better job. One of my passions, which, again, I can discuss if you're interested, is making the industry more potent politically and in terms of messaging than yeah. it is. Um, we're really immature in, in that regard. Uh, but one of the things we should be doing is trying to change the perception of people. Uh, that this is somehow the devil's alfalfa and, and make it, you know, try to mainstream it. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do. So does your, does SB 350 have any provisions built into it that address uh, the educational aspects of cannabis that is just woefully lacking? I mean, you stop a person on the street and say, Hey, tell me, how are your anandamide levels? They'd be like, yeah, well, the bill does, does provide, funds for people who want to get involved in the industry to have free courses. It's part of our social justice component of the bill. Uh, when we did medical, we, there was a lot of reasons, political and otherwise, that we had to make it, we had to set up a certain structure which favors people who are already very wealthy, right? Because um, you guys were dipping your toe in the water and you're like, only people we really trust. So you got all these MSOs. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 that's part of it. Um, and also like, we were saying like this is medicine, and 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 it, you know it was hard to sell the message. Well, you know, I mean, you know, uh, oxycontin's medicine, but you don't get to grow opium poppies in your in your basement, right? And you know, you have to go through a very detailed vetting process and licensing process. So we had to set that up because a lot of people were skeptical that it was medicine. When I first introduced the bill, I couldn't get a co-sponsor. It took a couple of years of constant meetings and hearings and uh, presentations and speeches around the state uh, to, to get people to to buy into it. So it was very difficult to make it. But but on the adult use side, I think, you know, there, our bill is a completely different place there because there, you know, we don't have the, we have a medical component that's already up and running. Mm -hmm. This is different. Um, and uh, your, your adult use bill has different cultivation license types and tiers. And one of them that I really love is the micro grower uh, cultivation license type. Uh, let's talk about that a bit because Illinois is, and I believe like, uh, Hey, Miggy in, uh, Washington state, can you get a grow license for just like 150 plants? No. Yeah, and it's also missing in Washington State. So let's talk about the this this concept that is in the micro grower license in the SB three fifty. What is that? Well, we wanted again uh, people. We wanted people to share because there's there's the legal legalization has a lot of benefits, and one of them is economic. But it can't just be for people who already have a lot. Uh, that's our whole society is that. So we, we we spent a lot of time meeting with people and brainstorming and reading to try to figure out how do we bring. Uh, people at the lower end of the economic uh, spectrum into the business other than as employees. Uh, and we said, you know, let them um, uh, be entrepreneurs. So what we did was this. There, you can get micro licenses. The 
the uh, requirements uh, are much less onerous than they are for the conventional licenses. You're limited to how much you can grow, but you, you, you don't have the testing requirements. You don't have the um, reporting requirements uh, and, and a lot of other requirements. You don't have to have a certain type of facility. You don't have to have a certain type of security, all of which you need for conventional licenses. So uh, this allows people with, you know, who just think they're good at this, you know, to, with very little. Uh, and we pay for their, they have to take a course. We pay for the course um, and they get the license. Now, what we do, however, because we want to make sure the consumers are safe, um, we make it so these licensees can't sell to ultimate consumers. Um, they can sell to what we call the grid. Uh, they can sell to uh, anyone with a conventional license. They can sell to growers. They can sell to dispensaries. And we saw this working in, in California when we went out to Harborside. People would bring in uh, cannabis and they drop it off. Are you going to have bulk flour in Pennsylvania? Oh yeah, yeah. We, can, we can, we're gonna yeah. Well, we have flour from medical, and so we're gonna have. But um, do you have bulk flour? Because like our flour in Illinois is shrink wrapped at three point five grams. Well, three point five. Uh, no, no. You can get uh, there. There, there won't. I mean, there won't be. I, we don't see a need for that's a, a that sort of limit. If it's legal, well, that's really cool. Yeah. And thank you for coming on the show because now yeah. we can have a dialogue where I can talk to my legislators in Illinois and be like, "Look, let's look at the because uh, your Pennsylvania is not alone. California has gone to the shrink wrapped type of uh, model for their rec, but then in uh, gosh, where was that? Oklahoma. Oklahoma yeah. has bulk flour. So I mean, you got and you got to fight. I think Oregon does too, right, Mickey? No, well, it's all about the C to cell tracking. Um, the medical side has bulk flour, but not the recreational side. Yeah, we've gotten we 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 we've done some things that were fairly, I think, out of the box. One of them is we essentially eliminated seed to sale tracking for adult use, not for medical. Um, but if it's adult use, it's you know as long as you're not giving it to children, the risk of diversion or the consequences of diversion, frankly, are much less. The tax revenue, though, that's the consequence of diversion that I think the state would be most concerned with to justify their seed to sale tracking. Well, I mean, the thing is that the, the you know, once once a, an ultimate consumer buys it um, and, and, you know, the, the theory with medical was the ultimate consumer would buy it and then they would give it to someone else who couldn't buy it, who didn't have a card, for example. Mm -hmm. Here, anyone else can buy it. So there's not that much incentive for people to pay uh, a premium or to, to go through all of the uh, hoops you need to go through to, for to in order to have a diversion uh, situation. Yeah. Um, so you know we're going to see how that works. Now, what we do instead in of, of seed to sale, we have a very strict label protocol, which means that you have to what the the lodestar of what you need as a per person who's selling cannabis legally is an accurate label. It has to say how much CBD, how much uh, THC, what the strain is, what the, you know, uh, testing for mold, all that stuff has to be on the label. And there are strict penalties, severe penalties for people who sell with inaccurate labels. How you get that label um, is up to you. And, and we do that right now with the alcohol industry. We don't have potato sale uh, tracking of alcohol. You just have to put out a bottle of Seagram's and it has to say whatever 80 proof and if they we're gonna have spot testing if they have testing and it's 160 proof rather than 80 you know sea ribs is going to have a problem um but we we leave it to the industry to determine how they get how they get their mold tested uh, because once you have the state coming in and have onerous uh not only requirements because we want requirements of safety but specific pathways to get there it yeah. becomes very expensive and it becomes again a rich man's game um, and so we're trying to make it so we keep people safe, but at the same time allow, you know, it's like beer. Like you can sell craft beer, uh, but you still have to tell us how, what proof it is. And you still have to tell us, you know, uh, the, you know. the craft market seems like a, what I've been bitching about the whole time for every legal state is the, the you're creating this lower area of entry for it. What, is there a price expected for that license for that low entry? For the micro license, yeah, uh, it, you know, I think we leave it to regulation, but we're thinking we're like a hundred dollars or something like that. Oh my God, I'm coming back. Uh, yeah, no, but this is going to be this is for poor people or lower middle. You know, this is for people. Now, keep in mind, 
as you guys, I'm sure know, most people who think, well, you know, I'll, I'll grow weed, it'll be awesome. Most people are going to suck at it, okay? And, you know, it's going to, you still have to have a product that people want to buy. Uh, so it, it, this is for low-income people, but it's not for people who are just doing this as a lark or a whim yeah. or not taking it seriously. Because uh, then they aren't going to be able to – because the if you have the label requirement, that guy who's just growing it, just, you know, the the cheapest he can, he got the license, and it's just terrible. Uh, it's not like he's going to be able to get a label for it that's going to say that it's got – this quality, that quality, it, it's free of purity or pesticides. I, I mean, keep in mind, yeah. those, they're not the ones who have to put the label on. The micro licensees are not the labelers. It's the dispensaries, it's the grow houses, it's the processors. Who but then to, if they want to sell it to the grid, they have to they're going to have a hard time selling it to the grid. Sell it to the grid. Yeah. They, they'd only need to get someone in the grid to buy it. However, the person who they sell it to, who then sells its ultimate consumers eventually, whether directly or down the line, mm -hmm. they are responsible for making sure what they just bought from the sky yeah. is accurately represented on the label, is tested as safe. So you could be out of business that fast because you'd be like, here's the stuff. This is terrible. Well, yeah. I mean, I think probably most people will be. I don't know. I mean, I think I've I never think grown. Most people would be, yeah. What, I, here in Washington. I think right? Well, here in Washington. stuff. The early medical days were like that. I was telling Tom how, uh, you know, you would have a medical store and I could have a small grow. I would take the medical, what I grew, to the store and they would purchase whatever pounds off of me and I made my money. Uh, you know, low area entry ability for common citizens, you know, a seed that gives you an opportunity. That's what this is all about. I think that's yeah. awesome that you guys create that low barrier. Yeah, and, and what I think will happen is not only will a lot of you know it's like people a lot most people you know I think eighty percent of restaurants fail in America. Right. So like you know I mean it's it, we still have a free market system. You're not good at this. No one's going to want to buy your product. Right. If you are good, I think for many of these people, some will just parlay that into something that they continue to do and make a lot of money. But I think a lot of people who are good at this will wind up like you know if I have a conventional license and dispensaries or whatever and you bring me great stuff i'm going to just say look why don't you come work for me right um, yep. and you know i think they'll be absorbed um you know into the into the conventional licenses some of them who want to be over time or they could grow and or so they, they, they could compete as well and which is really really neat they could they could fill up that 150 and then they could try to get the next license type what's the next largest license if if i was being successful at it uh, yeah, I think it was about 500. And uh, right. so, you know, you can, and so you go up and you can do that. And eventually you get a conventional license because you're, you know, and um, so, and you can grow as much as you want with a conventional license, as long as you have the facility for it. So, it, you know, that's, that is, the, we, we think of these tiers as ladders, the ladder to. Well, I also just thought of this when I'm considering, because this is impossible in Illinois, like the smallest availability for growing and I'm doing my best I, and I still can't get it under like $4 million. And I'm like, no, Jesus, I mean, just with all the stuff you're going to have to do. And then there's only so many seats on the bus, you know, and uh, with, with yours, think about ev just eviscerating the black market. If anybody could get a license like that, you know, within reason, like maybe not like violent felons. You know, there's going to be something that's like, no, we really can't have you yeah. doing this. But uh, we have a rehabilitation clause in our Illinois language. And I'm assuming that there's probably something similar in Pennsylvania. So like they're still encouraged to apply and maybe they have actually paid their debts to society and they'd be a fine license holder. But, you know, having that widespread availability would kill the black market yeah. because now you're letting everybody basically get a shot, you know, and then come out of the shadows, you know, and, right, and, yeah. and then the only people who can't compete in the shadows have crappy stuff. And right. it's like, they're, they're what not, are the shadows? Yeah, the we don't want that guy. market. The traditional market is probably going to be 150 plants or less because you're not trying to be found out. Like if you look at the big DEA bus from Colorado, approximately this time last year, a little bit more now, what was it? They knew that they had home grow. So they bought homes in Colorado. They grew in the basement. Granted, they went way over their limits. But how many plants can you really have growing in a basement before you're fucked? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but uh, <laughs> it might be about 150. Yeah. <laughs> 150. And so you asked about the, um, the, the 
criminal record component. We have a part of the bill says that if you have a criminal record related to cannabis, then you are completely fine. You can apply, you can get a license, that's fine. If you have a criminal record related to fraud or something like that, um, it's not a death sentence, but you can't get a license, uh, certainly a micro license automatically. Uh, there has to be, uh, you know, some kind of um, rehabilitation and, and um, some sense that you're, you know, look, if you did something 30 years ago, you've been straight and narrow ever since, that's fine. But, you know, we just want, we don't want people who are dishonest. We don't mind people who sold weed before, mm -hmm. but we don't want people who are dishonest or dangerous who, you know, are going to hurt other people. What about employees? Like uh, if I had a dispensary and just wanted to hire felons, is that? You could hire uh, the same thing. You could hire someone with a, a cannabis conviction. Cannabis conviction. Well, first of all, under our bill, cannabis convictions in Pennsylvania are automatically expunged. Um, Any limitations of levels? Uh, we, we have, it's, again, regulation will deal with some of that, huh. but we, we, we don't think there should be limitations. I mean, look, if someone was busted with 2 million pounds, like, I don't know if we want to help El Chapo necessarily, but right. I mean, you know, people who sold an ounce to their college uh, buddy, that those people are, should be fine. Um, the, you know, so we're, we're, we're not going to have any, uh, th those people have no impediment. Doing it now. If you're if you have a conviction in another state, we can't expunge those, um, but we can hire. It'd be disqualifying. How much uh, residency requirement is there going to be to holding a license in Pennsylvania? Um, again, a lot of see when you draft a bill, the bill's this thick, and the regulations are this. Thick. Well, the, um, our bill was this thick, and our regulations so far have been this thick. The the legislature did, or our bill is six hundred pages long. So if you want your regulators to look at some social equity stuff uh, and some allocation of taxes, uh, Illinois has got a pretty good one. Well, let me tell you this. I, that's interesting because uh, um, when you do a – the more you put in a bill uh, in terms of detail, the more fights that you're picking. And, and uh, you know, sometimes the harder it is to get passed where you can sort of wink and nod if you like – like, for example, let me give you an example – we wanted whole flour when we did the uh, medical bill, um, but there was a lot of pushback on that. So rather than that, we put in the bill that there would be a commission set up to evaluate whether whole flour was appropriate. So no one had to, you know, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of senators were like, I know, I'm fine with it. The problem is I don't want to be on the record voting for that because some of my constituents won't like that. So we said, we'll send it up. We'll send it to the commission. The regulators will tell, talk about the numbers of the people in the commission, but we made sure that the statute described them in a way that the commission was stacked, if you will. Uh, and they, lo and behold, recommended whole flour. And so that's what we have. Huh. But um, So there's, it's tricky when you have a 600 page bill, man, there's a lot to fight over there. They had a lot of coalitions. So like Illinois is fairly super majority Democrat, but yeah. then like it, it was, yeah. And so that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was like, our bill's 600 pages. Yours is 35. Yeah. Why? Well, because we wanted broad principles uh, and we wanted to pick as few fights as we can. Because again, right now, now things could change in November, but right now there are, uh, there's a Democratic governor but there's a Republican control of the House and Senate. And, and yeah. So we got we got medical through like that. Uh, and a very good medical bill, I think. Very expansive. But it took a lot of work. And recreational is another step behind. And as, and, and as you mentioned earlier on the show, that, um, you know, a lot of Republicans, it, it, many, many Republican legislators said to me, I secretly support your bill. I obviously can't vote for it. I'm going to say that I want more studies. Yeah. No, I'm going to press release condemning you for introducing it. But I want you to know I'm with you deep down. You know, and so, uh, but, but we smoked now, that joint that one time. I still got some. I, I, I kind of like breaking the law. <laughs> a female Republican, very conservative senator, came up to me and said, I hope your bill passes so I can smoke it on my porch instead of sitting in my living room. Oh, um, sure. She's okay being a hypocrite. She's okay being a hypocrite. Have you and met being a criminal before? <laughs> have I met re politicians? Um, I I kind of have. Yeah, I've never cool. been one, but I well, I am a trustee of a township, but still, you know, it's being a Yeah, Dalen, in your fight for cannabis in Pennsylvania, um, have you talked about the past as far as like the LaGuardia report, you know, in the uh, the Water Commission, you know, these things that were federally 
The studies. Studies, <laughs> and then they're suppressed. The Schaefer, by the way, it's the Schaefer report. Well, which, Schaefer, yeah. which, which the studies. The federal studies. Uh, well, which Nixon appointed Governor Schaefer from Pennsylvania, Republican governor, oh. to find that this is an awful uh, plant and we should throw everyone in jail forever. And he came back with his commission and said, actually, there's no reason this should be illegal at all. And Nixon, of course, the data has not changed since that report 50 yeah. years ago. And, and he uh, buried it and uh, ignored it um, because that's not what he wanted to hear. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, I will say this. Reasoned persuasion based on uh, empirical data is not really a thing in politics. Right. Like uh, it's not. And what is, is like, we have to convince people that this is safe for you. There's no politician. Oh, my cat has arrived. Uh, no politician uh, is going to uh, commit suicide for, for an issue, right? Uh, so number one, we have, to, we have to convince them it's safe for them. Number two, we have to convince them that this will help some group that they want to help um, and that this will give them a chance to look good in their district. Uh, you know, that's, if you can convince them of that, You'll, you're on your way. Convincing them jobs that, and revenue. Yeah, yeah. jobs, revenue. Convincing them it's the right thing to do, or or justice. Them, yeah. fixing the wrongs. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Money, 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 money and me. Like, I, oh, that's right. I had forgotten. That's one of the reasons why whenever I go to a political function, I like to wear a suit that's made of mirrors because they love that. They can see themselves and then I don't have to talk as much. It's, it's nice. You should get those slimming mirrors. Oh be- gosh, that would, then they would love it. Especially if like, I'm just in the process of writing out a check to their oh, campaign. Fuck. They <laughs> would love me. I the kids, I always say jokingly, I have to explain it's a joke, but like, they're like, what's the most effective way to lobby your legislature? I'm just like, write them a nice note on the back of a hundred dollar bill. And that will, uh, you know, be very persuasive, but it is, um, so look, we can, we can argue about whether this is how things should be or not, but it is the way they are. So, it doesn't do us any good. You know, yeah, no. So rather than reinvent the wheel and try to change the, the world from the way it is, let's embrace the world the way it is and try to see if we can get it passed that way. Yeah, but we, we had a supermajority, so we did it idealistically. Yeah, like, idealistically, we should pay these people and we should require them to be in, inserted into these companies. So we have that social equity that you basically are not getting a license unless it's a social equity license in Illinois. And then not only that, like that, that was done by the statute. That was intentional. And then they have these R3 programs, which are really, really interesting. And then they break up like some of the, the large portion of the statute, besides like all the regulations they put a lot of regulations in the statute regarding what you actually need for the, the, the edifices of the security and all that other stuff. But then um, they have the, the breakdown of where the money's going and how the taxes are being collected. And that would be something that I think the legislatures would be like, go on. Money goes where, does it? Yep. Fixes okay. what issues that I care about, do, does it? And then so if you can get enough issues that they care about that are going to get fixed or at least money in their district or something. Uh, I think that's how you can build a broader coalition. Uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and this year, you mentioned it because of the COVID situation. You know, in a bad year, we have, a, like, I think all states have a balanced budget requirement in their constitution. We have one of those. And so in a tough year, we have like a $200 million deficit. Um, and it's hard to sort of bring that together, but we somehow do whatever. But now... We're looking at estimates of up to $5 billion, B with billion B, unless the federal government gives us aid to the states, which Mitch McConnell so far has not indicated a willingness to do. Um, and so uh, if we have a $5 billion deficit, people are, there's going to be a like, you know, if you can sell your grandmother for $2,000 and get it to the state, we'll pass that. Like, so this is a real opportunity for us um, because, yeah. because uh, to, to, to Tom's point, one thing the legislators don't want to do is they don't want to raise taxes and they don't want to, uh, most of them, some ideologues, but most of them don't want to cut popular programs. But right. the, the physics of this are either after raise taxes or cut popular programs. Now, the only downside to all of this, because cannabis is a lot of money sitting there waiting for us. The only thing is it's not a uh, completely short term. We're very short term thinkers, you know. And so we have to convince them that, like, this will help you next year and the year after because, yeah. you know, I mean, it takes a while to ramp up, right? And so, no, nope. yep. 
throw money the first no, not really. I mean, like you could go from nothing to Oklahoma real quick. Uh, especially as you look at how quickly nothing from Oklahoma happened. And then in Illinois, a tantamount population to uh, Pennsylvania, we pushed 47 mil plus like another 20. I mean, like it was like 70 something total when you threw in medical. So you already have the medical edifice and then you just roll that out while you prepare the, the license rounds for the next or the new dispensaries and all that. And you have, do you know how many freaking dispensaries are in uh, Oklahoma, which is a population of like 4 million, so like a third of a Pennsylvania? 2,400. No. 400, wow. 2,400. Are there, I mean, how is there a demand sufficient to support that? This oh, industry yeah. is insane. It's growing at 30% a year. You're going to, it's probably already a multi billion dollar, and it is a multi billion dollar industry right now no, in Pennsylvania. No, I, I get that. And I go to all the conferences and I talk to all, I go to all the panels. But twenty four hundred uh, divided by four million. One of you is good. Oh, it's imagine. like Starbucks. It's it's too much. <laughs> like it's it's the Wild West. Anybody can get in. I mean, there's like seven customers per dispensary. I mean, it's like you know. Well, we just had an Oklahoma guest, and what she say? There was thirty million that they made, and there's only a four million uh, residency. So yeah, five million. You, we had the we had our um, uh, auditor, the auditor general, and the uh, uh, appropriations committee did separate studies. And they looked at things like ancillary businesses and things like oh, that. Oh, those are huge. Oh, yeah. We're talking about, I mean, they came up with estimates of between uh, six and $900 million within a couple of years. And like jobs, job, I real mean, taxes, people oh. want to move there. Somebody, somebody in the comments was like, if New York doesn't have this uh, type of license, you know, the, the, not the home grower license, but the micro grower license, he's moving to Pennsylvania. Do you know how many people are moving to Illinois right now from surrounding states? Uh, probably a couple. No, and, and this is, it, it is insane for us as a state. And this is one of the cases I make not to get our share. Um, yeah. I mean, Colorado was first. They got all that cannabis tourism uh, that we missed out on because we weren't first, but okay, that ship has sailed. But like, are we really going to make people drive to New Jersey, drive to Maryland, drive when you, I mean, are, is that, is that really what we're going to do? Um, we did that for a long time with gambling. And ultimately when people realized we were losing billions of dollars every year, because people were driving to Atlantic city or people were driving to, to, to Delaware, we pass legal gambling and uh, you know, same. It's just, it's not going to be, this is not driven by what the right thing to do is again, it's driven by money and that's fine. That's the way the world works. So if we have a good case to make, there's money to be made here. Oh yeah. Where does SB 50 or three fifty sit down? What's that maybe? I'm sorry. Uh, where does SB 350 sit now? Oh, so um, it's, it's been referred to the health committee. It is, um, uh, it was lying in quiet repose uh, until the COVID thing happened. Uh, it was going to take, and we knew it's going to take a while to build this. Uh, but now, you know, as Rahm Emanuel from Illinois has said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, this is a, uh, this has changed the dynamic completely. Republicans who were against this previously have publicly said that they'll, they're willing to take a look at it now. Um, and because we need the money too badly and look what's happening in all these other states. Um, so, uh, I think we have in the fall, see right now we, we passed a, um, usually we pass a budget for the entire fiscal year by June 30th. We passed a budget for like a few months, five months. That was a flat budget, but we're not, we're running out of money. And Could so you omnibus this thing? Can you throw a 350? Can you omnibus this thing? Like they do with the farm bill. Sometimes they throw it in there. Absolutely. But we're coming back in the fall. And That's something uh, I don't, I just mean to, you know, give us a like and a subscribe. If you really enjoy content about the civic process, because seriously, like what was the last time some of the people ever saw a podcast where it's like, Hey, can we talk about how omnibus bills sometimes or smaller bills are thrown in because deals are made? No, that's very rarely discussed on a podcast, but that is awesome. So no, how can the, because the people from Pennsylvania are going to really be watching this show. How can they get involved and help this bill become law? Tell your, go, go meet with, well, you can't meet because we can't leave our house, but set up a, a phone call or a Zoom call or whatever platform this is with your legislator. And here's a tip for lobbying legislators because a lot of people go and their legislator says, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then they go to their leadership and say, please don't run this. OK, it, talk to your legislator. And if your legislator indicates some level of support, 
say, great, do you mind if I tweet this out? Just talk to Senator Jones, and he said he supports whatever. Because if they won't let you tweet it out, they're lying to you, okay? Nice. Yeah. So uh, wow. get well. We want to get people publicly on board because it's it is a it is a rock rolling down a hill. That's what medical was. Once we got our first Republican, that really helped, and then we got our second, and our third, then our twelfth, and then our fifteenth. You know, like we just people are afraid. Politicians are timid, frightened creatures. So we need a few people to be leaders and come out and say, you know, and frankly, since they control the process, we need more Republicans to come out and say, yeah. I this it's time. Uh, and it should what be. about money before, like, you know, when you call your legislature, it could be like, Hey, I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to donate my funds to as a constituent and exercise my free right, uh, speech rights. Well, where do you come down on legalizing marijuana in Pennsylvania? Well, well, I'll tell you this. I mean, individuals, the first thing they'll do is uh, have their campaign guy look up your giving history. Uh, <laughs> and if it's not very good, it won't mean much, but I'll tell you what, why don't you, you can get this is all online, go to your uh, legislator uh, um, give, you know, donation history, see who his big donors or her big donors are, and call them and say, look, you've given this guy, you've been supporting this guy, you've been one of his biggest donors, will you call him for me and say this? I mean, see, you know, it's all about networking and putting and applying pressure and making people feel like this is the path of least resistance, because you know what? Like all issues, most legislators don't care that much about cannabis, okay? Same There's with the regulators. Same with the regulators. After you get the license, they really don't care. They don't care. Yeah. Hey, Jaylen, I like to point out. I just... Least resistance. They'll do the path of least resistance. Ding, so ding, ding, have... ding. You are in compliance. Yay. Yeah. And you have to make, so if a legislator, look, he'll vote for it or against it. He just doesn't want to get himself in any trouble. So make it so the path, and that's why the cannabis industry needs to be much more mature politically. Because we don't have candidate recruitment, candidate nurturing. And so we don't, like, I'm not a huge fan of the NRA, but they're very good at what they do. And one of the things is they people know in the legislatures and in Congress that if you're with the NRA, they're with you. And if you're not with them, the wrath of God will come down on your head. Hmm. It, no one fears us as an industry. And well, I, I would totally, Miggy, let's, let's run for public office and take all the <laughs> cannabis money we can. Yeah, well, I'd, like to, I'd like to share something because um, here in Washington, we're a little te uh, savvy when it comes to our mm -hmm. legislator. And I just shared this link. So if you live in Pennsylvania, type in your address and you can find your legislator that way. And most of these sites, you can do a multi messaging where you can send them like, a, hey, you know, where do you stand on cannabis? I mean, at least there's one way of getting a on paper or something written response. Yeah, absolutely. And um the problem is if you send a letter to them, you get one of these letters back, you know, thank you so much for your views. We'll take them into consideration. You know, you want to get them to commit because they're afraid to commit. But once they're committed, they're committed. Right. Yeah. And so um, that's the big thing. This is going to happen. This is going to be legal in all 50 states eventually. It's just right. we are wasting time and, yeah, right. and hurting people and not doing things we should be doing with the money uh, and still incarcerating people and still putting them in the criminal justice system. And it's, it's, it's like what John Kerry said about the Vietnam War. Who wants to be the last person to die for a mistake, mm -hmm. right? And we are still um, harming people because of prohibition as it's yeah. going out the door. Right. And so that's something that we have to work hard to, to stop as soon as we can. We know that we're in a hole that we keep digging and it's not doing us any good. And we don't need to be any deeper into this hole, but yet we still keep digging. Well, inertia is very powerful in politics. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's why we have to break the cycle. And that's it's up to us to do that. And it's up to our industry to get that. Look at, look at the numbers coming out of Illinois. You can go from negative to positive that freaking quick. And so, like, Illinois was pretty – I think Pennsylvania did a pretty good job of coming down on the coronavirus, right? Do you guys – you don't have a pretty massive spike or anything? We have not had a massive spike yet, but we're very worried because, you know, the rest of the country uh, – and people oh, are yeah. tired of it. You know, people are tired. It's hard to be vigilant for months. Yeah. And people want to go out. And they want to have fun. They want to see their friends, and they want to do this. And so it's going to be hard while the weather's nice. Yeah. We went from 300 to 900. Um, sorry. Uh, it's all right. Cats, that is exactly what cats do. It's like, I'm sorry. It's been 50 minutes. I need the attention now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, but, we, you know, we, people, we've gone from 350 cases. We've gotten down to about 350 cases a week for uh, a day for a couple of weeks. Now we're up to almost 1,000 again. Okay. And 
you know, it's if we're not careful, we'll be Arizona in three weeks or four weeks. So, you know, besides, okay, let's say besides the increase of revenue, uh, do you also bring up the fact that there'll be a divertive uh, in at least the police system? Like there'll be less revenue, you know, because we had a, the war on drugs, billion dollars thrown at it. You know, how much is thrown back at it? A thousand and the plant's still winning. So, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not only the money we get from the taxes, from the plants, or, you know, it's the money we save by not, we, in Pennsylvania, we're close to 25,000 people a year that are, you know, we have to arrest, process, incarcerate, or try, or put on probation and monitor. I mean, it's ridiculous. And there are so many people who are in, <clears throat> even if they're not sentenced to jail, um, what happens is you're sentenced, let's say you're sentenced to probation because it's a small amount, but then you forget to tell your probation officer uh, you're, you changed your phone number. You've now been violated. So then you go back into jail and serve the rest of your time. It, it's a vortex that's very difficult to get out of. Plus, there are jobs in Pennsylvania uh, that you can never work or you can't work for again if you have a criminal record. Not to mention you have to check the box, theoretically, every time that you apply for a job that has a box. Have you ever been convicted of a crime? You have to check that. And so um, it's a terrible uh, – whoever thought prohibition was a good idea was, a, was an idiot. I mean, this is the, – the harm that this does across the board in so many ways is just as incalculable. incalculable. It's old style of thinking. Hey, that's, let's wrap up with a, an audience question. Chief Keefe asks, how long till we can grow legally in the state of Pennsylvania, Senator, in your opinion? I think there is a chance that by if we if we do this smartly, uh, that by spring of next year, a year from now, maybe a little less a year from now, it's possible. It's not going to be easy. There are still dead enders, but there were dead enders on medical, um, and uh, we got it done. And uh, I think the case is very, very compelling. If we're smart and we invest time and resources in getting it done. I think by spring we could be doing that because we still may be locked up by spring. And by then the amount of money we're going to need is just going to be, it's like, it's going to be infinity. And every month, oh, yeah. Illinois is going to be publishing that data this yeah. much, this month, that yeah. much, that month, come visit us. Chicago's numbers are pretty low right now too. You know, my daughter is transferring. She's a soft, she'll be a sophomore this year. She just transferred to Northwestern. So, well, that's a oh, great wow. school, but she doesn't sound like she's 21. So it's not for her yet. No, no, she's, uh, she, she'll be, uh, she's 19, but, uh, she'll, she's, she's getting there. Right on. Dalen, thank you so much for joining us today. Where thank can you. we go to read and learn more about SB 350? Well, you can go to my website and there's a whole page on Senate Bill 350 or you can Google it and there's a lot of commentary. Okay, great. We'll throw those links in the description. Thanks again for tuning in. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of Cannabis Legalization News. We are skipping Sunday, but we do have a special 710 episode for uh, mm, National It's Dad really Day. good, too. Yeah. It is a really good 710. Yep. So make sure you check that out. We will see you next Wednesday. Jing.